We've been talking for the last few weeks about fearless, right? About being fearless in the face of whatever may come. And this week we're going to encounter a subject that at one time or another we have probably all thought about and felt a little fear for. We're going to talk this week about the fear of death. And I found an interesting site on the Internet this week. It's a site called The Death Clock. And uh, here's the site. And uh, on this one, you put in your information. And if you could see close enough, you could see my information. I'm glad you can't uh, for the most part. But, you know, you put in your birthday. You put in uh, whether you're male or female. You put in... uh, this is an interesting part. There's a mode part. It says normal. And I thought, well, I'm pretty normal. You know what I mean? But it says pessimistic, optimistic, or sadistic. And that's based on whether you think you're going to die soon or not. All right? So I just put normal. I figure, okay, I'll be a normal guy. I don't want to be pessimistic. And then it says BMI. How many know what a BMI is there? That's your body mass index. Let me just tell you, the quickest way for me to get depressed is to look at my BMI, all right? Uh, So it asks you your BMI. I was going to do this live, but that's one of those questions you don't really ask. You know, how tall are you? How much do you weigh? Here's your BMI. Congratulations, everybody now knows. Um, And then you put in whether you're a smoker or not. Those are the only things I put in. And when I clicked that button that said check your death clock, this little pop-up came up. And it tells me that my death date, if you want to go ahead and mark this on your calendars, is Monday, November 15th, 2049. All right? Now, you see that one billion number right there running down? That's how many seconds I have left to live. Isn't that a little disconcerting that it just keeps going down? You know, I'd like to add a little bit or make it go up once or twice, but it just keeps winding down. I was, it was interesting, I preached in the first service, and after the first service, somebody came up and says, you know, it's a subject we need to talk about because I know that I'm getting closer to it all the time. And the truth is, we're all getting closer to it all the time, right? I don't think we've reversed aging yet. And so, it's interesting to look at this. Now, do you think I'm going to die on Monday, November 15, 2049? No. They're, they're, you know, I could. I don't know, but... Uh, you know, the scary thing when I looked at that, you know, you think about, well, that's a long way off. And I was, that's only 40 years. You know, that's like 40 years in a month. And so I don't believe that the Internet can predict my death clock date. Uh, there's even an application now on Facebook that you can predict when you will die and how you will die. And it gives you crazy stuff, you know, diving into a pool or motor accident or shot down by a mass murderer. It's crazy stuff. But I do believe that we have a death clock. I believe that God knows it's set in stone the day that we will pass on from this life into the next. That doesn't mean we don't take care of ourselves. That doesn't mean that we don't try to prolong our lives and do healthy things. But I believe that our death date appointment has already been set. That if we were able to open up God's appointment book, that there would be an appointment there that had our death date on it. Now, I know that's a great way to start a sermon. You're all excited about what's coming, but it's the truth. And in our culture, we've tried to sanitize death. You know, a couple of generations ago, people were around death a lot more than we are. Family members passed away, one of those phrases we used, at home. 
And then when someone passed away at home, they, they had something, especially in the South, a ritual that was sitting up with the dead. And you would stay in the home with the body and you would wait there. Today, people normally die. Most deaths occur in hospitals or nursing homes. And immediately upon the death, the funeral home takes over and takes the body. And you're not around death as much. And we try to sanitize it not only in the way that we uh, are around it, but the way that we talk about it. People say that someone dies. They don't say they die. They say they're no longer with us. Their candle has burned out. She's moved on. He's passed away. Some circles, they kick the bucket or buy the farm, right? But we don't say he died. Fear of death runs a whole industry. The modern health industry is about prolonging your death date. Uh, it's funny. I don't know if you can see this or not, but right under that countdown, you see where it's counting down those seconds down there? I've lost several seconds since I last looked at it. It says, delay your date of death. So apparently it's not a fixed date. I can delay it. And if you click on that little thing, you know where it takes you? To a health supplement page pretty clever, isn't it? Well, I don't want to die that day. You know, if they were real clever, they would have put everybody's date like next week or something, you know. But they say, you know, go to this page, go to this page, all kinds of health supplements. I mean, we've got health supplements and exercise programs and plastic surgeons that make us look younger than we really are because we don't want people to think we're close to death. We have supplements inside of our vitamins. We eat organic food because we don't want the supplements, but we put more stuff into the organic food so that we get more vitamins, and we do all of that. And there's even a group of people that have trusted science so much that they are being cryogenically preserved. You know what that means, don't you? They're frozen. Why are they frozen? Because they're convinced that one day they will figure out a way to fix whatever's wrong with them. And then they can live longer. Let me give you the first thing I think this morning we need to understand is that unbelievers have reason to fear death. Unbelievers should fear death. Now, when I say unbelievers, what do I mean there? I mean people that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ should fear death. Why? Why, why? why should we fear death? Well, first of all, the first reason they should fear death is because everybody dies. I want you to say right now, I will die. Say that. All right. Everybody dies. There has never been an exception to the rule of humans that did not die. The rate is one out of one. We all die. Our death date may be a long time away. It may be short time. It may be next week. It may be next decade. It may be uh, way on out. Maybe next century for some people in this room. But we all die. Catherine Hepburn, an actress from a generation ago, said this, I think I am finally at the point where I've learned to face death with a sense of humor. When you're my age, it's as if you're a car. First a tire blows and you go get that fixed. Then a headlight goes, and you go get that fixed. And then one day you drive into the shop, and the mechanic says, Sorry, miss, they don't make parts for that model anymore. Right? We're moving towards that day. Listen to this. Every year, 70 million people die. Every second, two people die. It's just a part of life. It happens. 
Now, the reason that people that don't have a faith in Jesus Christ have reason to fear is not just because everybody dies, but because everybody will be judged. It tells us in Scripture not only that everybody dies. I mean, I didn't even have to give you a Scripture passage for that because it's evidential, right? We see it in everybody else. But that everybody is judged. That once we pass away, once we move to the other side, once we cross that river, once we buy the farm, we will be judged. Now, you may not like that part of the story. I may not like that part of the story. People around the world may not like that story. But the truth is, if you believe the Bible, the Bible says everyone will be judged. In Hebrews, there's a a verse of Scripture that says, that is appointed unto man to die and then the judgment. Is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Now here's the truth. Scripture makes it very clear that the one criteria for that judgment is this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? That's it. Doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. Doesn't matter how many Sunday school classes you've been in. Doesn't matter how many small groups you've been in. Doesn't matter how many songs you've sung, how many songs you've written, how many Bible studies you've done, how many times you've read the Bible thoroughly. That doesn't matter. On the other side of that, doesn't matter all the sins you've committed. It doesn't matter in that judgment whether or not you've uh, you, you've just been terrible in your life and you've killed people and you've murdered people and you've uh, acted horribly all your life. The only question that matters at that judgment is whether or not you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have a personal relationship with Him. This isn't one of those things that after the, the death you get another chance. To, well, I didn't quite understand. You know, if I would have known that my death date was coming now, I would have done something about it. It's not one of those things where you get a second chance. It's not one of those things where you get sent back here in another form in order to try to do better. It says in there, how many times is man destined to die? Once. And after that to face judgment. And Scripture teaches that for unbelievers, those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that their judgment will include torment and separation from God and from others, for awareness of where they are, a memory of what they did, a regret for the life that they lived, and worst of all, complete isolation from anything. Scripture describes the place where those who don't place their trust in Jesus where they spend eternity as a place of darkness and yet a place of fire. And I don't understand how those two things work together, but I don't want to find out. Truth is, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, death is the worst possible thing that can happen to you. Here's the second thing, though. Believers should hope for death. Philippians chapter 1. We've read this passage before since I've been here, but it's appropriate for what we're doing today, and we're going to look at it in a little different light. Philippians chapter 1, Paul is writing to his favorite church. It's a Philippian church. It's a church that he loves dearly, that he cares about the people dearly, that he he wants them to understand and be encouraged in their faith, but he also wants them to understand who he is. And they're concerned for him because he's in jail. He's in chains. They, 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 They don't know what's going to happen to him. And the Philippian church, as any church would be, is naturally concerned about this man that they love. 
And so Paul writes them, starting in verse 20 of chapter 1. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. And you, you, can, you would have to imagine that this was not something that they would have received and individually read. They didn't pass this around. This would have been a letter that their pastor or whoever was in charge of the flock at the time would have stood up in front of them and said, we have a letter from Paul. Let's all gather around and let me read it. And when he said that, there probably would have been some applause. Yes, he's going to make it. You see, they're thinking, he says, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to be made fun of. I'm not going to have any kind of shame. What they're thinking is that means he's going to stay alive. But that's not what Paul meant. He says, I expect and hope I will no way be ashamed, but I have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by, what's the word there? Death. What he says is, I'm confident that even if they take my life, my courage will remain and my hope in Christ will remain. And as a result, it will be a thing where I will not be embarrassed. He goes on. Verse 21, this famous verse here. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's do that again. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, I just want you to think how different that is than what we think of death. You know, I thought about this morning that 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 verse is quoted sometimes, but the part that's quoted the most out of that verse is the first part, right? For me to live is Christ. Amen, brother. Preach it. Keep going. But have you ever seen a T-shirt that just had the second part on it? Walk, you know, somebody walks in, they got a T-shirt on, and just across the middle it says, To die is gain. Verse 22. If I'm to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor. He says, this is the good part. If I stay, I'll be able to have fruitful labor. I'll be able to work with you. I'll be able to see God do some things. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. You see what he says there? That to him, there is no doubt what the better of the two options is, right? It's death but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I just want you to think about this for a minute. Um, You know, now I've been in ministry eight years and done lots of prayer meetings and time when prayer requests are given. And one of the things that I always try to do is say, all right, let's let's spend some time praising the Lord because it's easy sometimes in prayer request time to get to a point where all you're doing is talking about people's problems and not giving glory to God for what he's done for us. So you always say, give me something good that's happened. On Wednesday night, that's how we start every Wednesday night prayer meeting. Somebody tell me something good that's happened. And you know what? Inevitably, one of the first things people will say is, well, I woke up this morning. Right? I mean, you hear that. I woke up this morning. I've got another day on this earth. You know what Paul would say? The best thing for me would be not to wake up in the morning. The best thing would be for me not to get another day on this earth. I want you just to think how different that is from what we think. We have people freezing their bodies so that if the medical community finds something to treat them with, they can come back if they ever figure out how to unfreeze them. And Paul says, get me out of here. He uses the word depart there, and it can mean three different kind of things. First of all, he he says to depart literally is a picture of of a... group of soldiers that tear down their tent, pack it all up, and move out to a new location. 
Another picture of departing there is literally of a slave being set free. Of someone saying, here's what you can do. You you, you can be released completely. You are free from anything that you've had obligation to. And the third picture there is an agricultural one about oxen. We don't deal with oxen very much. But they dealt with them a lot. And the picture there is literally of the yoke that has been placed upon the ox and making them to work in a row and making them to go and tandem together. That yoke being removed and the ox is set free. What Paul says is, I desire to be free, to move my station to the other side, to be completely released from the bondage that I'm in and to be allowed to get out of this workload that I'm under. I want to be So for him, death is something he hoped for. Now let me just say real quickly, that doesn't mean we do anything to bring it on. You know, it doesn't mean you become a uh, Christian glutton, okay? In other words, I know butter may kill me, but the faster the better, all right? I'm just going to eat and eat and all I can. That doesn't mean we don't take care of the body. That doesn't mean that we don't try to do all the things we know are healthy, but what it means is we look forward to the day when our life here is done. One of the things that that I get the privilege of as a pastor is to see people in their final moments. And most of the time that's a privilege because you see people and they will say, you know, just in those final moments, people get real honest with you. Not a lot of use in lying at that moment, all right? Not a lot of consequences are going to be worse than what they're about to face. They, they get real honest. And it's always encouraging to be by the bedside or see someone in the hospital that you know they've got a relationship with Jesus. You know where they place their faith. And they just look up at you and they say, Pastor, I'm ready to go. I'm okay. I'm ready. And the truth is, Paul has said that long ago. But Paul's attitude is even different than that. It's not, I'm ready to go. It's, God, please let me go. But this thing stops him. And this is important for us to understand. What stops him is the work that God has left for him to do here. He says, he continues on there in Philippians 1. He says, Convinced of this, convinced that it's necessary for you that I remain, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. What he basically says is, I still have a mission to complete. Here's the last thing for the day. Believers should hope for death, but we need to understand this, that believers should have our lives changed by death. You see, that appointment on the calendar is out there. And it may be next century, a couple of decades, or it could be today. And the truth is that I've done a funeral for somebody that's in their 90s. I've never done a funeral for anybody over 100, but I've done a funeral for somebody in their 90s, but I've also done a funeral for a two-year-old. And we're not promised any amount, and I'm not one of those pastors that harps on and rails on, listen, you could walk out of here today and something could happen on your way home and it could be your last few moments. But the truth is, you could walk out of here today, something could happen on your way home, and it could be your last few moments. 
And the truth is that we need to live our lives as so. Whatever that appointment on the calendar is for our death date, whether mine is November 15, 2049, or it is next week, I need to live my life on a daily basis as if I'm prepared for whenever it comes. And that means accomplishing the task God has given me right now, right here. I mentioned earlier being at the bedside of people in death. You know, what happens when you get close to death is that you get pinpoint accuracy on what really matters in life. When you see people on their deathbed, they're not asking about the latest sports scores. They're not asking about what's happening in the news and entertainment business. They don't care what the latest fall television shows are doing. What they care about is whether or not they are finishing well what God has given them. A year ago, we, this time of year, we did a series, a, you know, a group of weeks on pretending like or imagining what your life would be like if you only had 30 days to live. Remember that, those of you that were here? One month to live. And it was interesting to hear those comments as people said, if I had one month to live, here's what I would do. This is what I'm doing. Here's what I'm changing. Here's what's happening. And I just wonder if a year out from that, it's gotten back to just doing normal stuff. I don't know whether you remember this or not, and I don't want you to tell me if you did or not. But there were four main things we talked about that if we knew we had 30 days left to live, this is how we'd live. And I just wonder if you're living that way right now. First of all, we would live passionately everything we are, full force, given to doing God's will for our lives. We would love completely. We would learn humbly, and we would leave boldly. Live passionately, love completely, learn humbly, and leave boldly. I was thinking yesterday, I, uh, yesterday was my Gramps' birthday. Gramps is in his 80s, and Physically is not what he used to be, and mentally is slipping pretty quickly. And he uh, he's currently living in an assisted living center in Dyersburg. And I tried to call Gramps yesterday on his birthday to tell him happy birthday, and Gramps did not answer his phone. I have to come to discover that apparently my Gramps is a little bit of a Casanova in the assisted living center. He spends his time uh, in the middle with all the ladies gathered him around, or he's got one particular lady. She's got two recliners in her room, so. He takes one recliner, she takes the other. So it's hard to get a hold of Gramps sometimes. And I called my mom and my dad, and mom said, I know I couldn't get him on the phone, and they were taking him out to eat, and they wanted to make sure he hadn't forgotten that they were taking him out to eat. For, so she had gone down there and found him in the middle, waiting on people to come down there and interact with him. And I said, well, do this. When you get in the car with him, tell him to call me. You know, or just call me on the cell phone, hand him the phone, and we'll talk. And so we were out, we were going out to do something else, and on our way, we had to stop at Publix and... And we were just pulling into the parking lot, and I was getting ready to get out when Mom called and said, I've got Gramps here. And I just stayed in the car because Gramps has two hearing aids, none of which ever work, and he never wears. So I don't know why he has them. But I have to yell as loudly as I can over the phone to talk to Gramps. And I just, you can't really have a conversation with Gramps because he can't hear you, and then you can't hear him. And so we talked for just a minute. Happy birthday. He asked me if I was taking care of all the business Nashville needed to have taken care of. You know, We did all that. And I just said, I just want you to know we were wishing you a happy birthday. And he ended like he ends almost every conversation we have now. He gets a little emotional. 
this is my gramps that was a truck driver for 20 years. It's, you know, he's a strong man. He gets a little emotional. He just says, you'll never know how proud I am of you. And here's what I know. He doesn't mean just that he's proud of me because I finished college. I have a master's degree and I'm working on a doctorate. He's not proud of me just because I uh, have a great family and two boys and a girl on the way. He's not proud of me just because I'm his grandson. He's told me on several occasions he's proud of me because of what I do for the Lord. And as I thought about that, what I thought about was this leaving boldly at the end. And I don't know how many days Gramps has left. With his family history, he may live another 10 or 15 years. But Gramps is one of those guys that showed me what it meant to live for the Lord as I was growing up. He was the guy that I would go over and spend time at his house. He had the quarterly out. Some of you still get quarterly. Some They don't make quarterlies for some of you anymore, but they had quarterly out. Now, sometimes the quarterly was beside the recliner, and he, he had just gotten through reading it. Sometimes it was laid on his chest as he was laid back in the recliner, and it had put him to sleep. But he had the quarterly with him. He was the first man I ever knew. He went on a short-term mission project. He went on one to the Philippines when I was in middle school. And he was a guy that all the time showed me what it meant to live for the Lord. And I just thought about this morning as I was wrapping up where I was going with this and God was kind of impressing some stuff on me with this leave boldly kind of idea. My prayer is that whenever my death date comes, whenever that appointment on the calendar comes, that I would leave a legacy like he has left. And I don't know where you are. I don't know when your date is. I mean, you can get on the computer this afternoon and you can put it in at deathclock.com if you want to. But that's not going to tell you what the real date is. But I do know this. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then that's something you got to settle real quick. And I know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to be living your life every day like your death date is coming in quickly. Telling people you care about, you care about them. Those neighbors or friends that don't know Jesus, talking to them about Jesus, living your life with passion for Him.